You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. And church, it is so good to worship, right? So good to worship. We're going to continue on worshiping right now as we open up God's Word. Our text for today is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is our text. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. This is the the final message in our Christ in Me uh, series where we've been exploring through Scripture the explosive outworking of a life of faith. And so in our final message this morning, our sermon title is this, simple, Christ in Me, a life pleasing to God. That's the title of our message. So here's our big idea for us today. It's this. If Christ is truly in me, if I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, if I'm a believer, if I'm a Christian, if I've given my life over to Jesus Christ, if all of these things are true in me this morning, if the Holy Spirit resides in me, if I'm a true disciple, then listen, Christ in me should result in this, radical faith. Christ in me should result in reverent fear. And then Christ in me should result in righteousness forever. This is our big idea for this morning. This is where we're going to go. You can see the outline of this message right here. We're going to talk about reverent faith and a radical faith and reverent fear and righteousness forever. That's where we're going. And as we've been going through this series in the last four weeks, I've got to be honest the title, in a certain sense, is, is a little bit problematic. And why do you say? Well, Christ in me applies to, hopefully, most of you in this room. But there's no way that Christ in me is talking to all of you here. Some of you are here this morning, and maybe you're kind of kicking the tires of this church, or maybe um, you're exploring, kind of like, who is Jesus? Who is this, who is this guy that people are worshiping? And you can't really say Christ is all in me yet because I'm not really all in yet. I'm not really ready to call myself a Christian yet. So this this outline is probably not going to work for you because Christ is not in you. So we're going to give you an outline. It's simply this, Christ in them. You can just scratch out the the me part and for now, just put in Christ in them. Because this is what we're going to look at. Radical faith, reverent fear, righteousness forever, Christ in me, and how all of that is a life that's pleasing and honoring to Jesus Christ, our holy and righteous Savior. So I'll come back and talk to you guys, the Christ in them. There's, there's a few of you here. Listen, there's a word for you in here today. I'm so glad that you are here. This is the place to be. This is the house of the Lord. And so as part of our, our worship this morning, Brandon read a number of beautiful passages from the book of uh, Hebrews, and it's all centered around the person and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Listen, we did that on purpose because we wanted to give you a bit of an appetizer for uh, what we're going to look at today in the book of Hebrews. You need to know this, Hebrews was written... Um, to the Jews, and specifically uh, to the Jews that had been converted to Christianity after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw it with their own eyes. They were among the first Christ followers. They were the first kind of group of the Christ in me people. And we actually don't even know who the author of Hebrews was, but we do know this for sure. 
he knew exactly who the Hebrew people were. He was probably Hebrew uh, himself, and he knew for sure their amazing history of men and women of deep faith. And we'll see that in our text today as we go through Hebrews chapter 11. It's known as kind of the hall of faith. It's it's an account of all of these amazing men and women. I counted 14 of them in this chapter. We're going to look at three this morning in our time together. But listen, it's important that you know that before we jump right into Hebrews 11, because we're opening up a book kind of to the middle. As we'll be reading from the middle of the story. So we want to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background for our chapter today. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're at. We're going to walk through the first seven verses, just kind of verse uh, by verse. And so I'm going to give you the first point right off the bat. First point is this. Write it down. Because Christ is in me, because Christ is in me, I live a life of radical faith. I live a life of radical faith. Let's read together and see what God's word says about radical faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the author repeats himself, the conviction of things not seen. For by the people of old received their commendation. If we read through this, you're going to notice that eight times in seven verses, we're going to see the word faith or by faith. And that's usually an indication from God's word what the passage is about. We see it eight times here, by faith, by faith. Well, what is faith? And it's helpful because the author here gives us a definition of faith. Now, the faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, even though I haven't seen Jesus with my own eyes, I believe in faith that 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 day is coming, loved ones. One day I'm going to see him with my own eyes. Listen, I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. I believe that Jesus died and he rose again. He paid the penalty for my sin. I believe that. And there is nothing, there's nothing that you can say to me that's going to convince me otherwise. That's faith. That's my faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is pointing out to us here. Listen, if you want your faith to be radical, just saying the fact that I believe in God is radical in our day, right? In our day, you know, in the teaching of science, for us to stand up and say, no, 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 no. God spoke, and he is, is radical in our day. Look at verse Verse number two here, for the people of old received their combination. Verse three, by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Do you see that there? It's just radical to stand up and say, you know what? God is, and God spoke, and when God spoke, creation existed. That alone, loved ones, is radical in our day. It's radical faith. God is, and God speaks. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we claim an absolute truth. God is. And when God speaks, man, people of faith, we move. We move. Let's find out three examples from the text this morning of people, men, who had a radical faith. Our first one here is Abel in verse 4. See it there? By faith. By faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, and through which he was commended as righteous. Wow. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He's speaking to us through God's word uh, this morning. So what was so amazing about Abel's 
sacrifice. What was the acceptable sacrifice that we're talking about here? Well, we can go back and further back in time. We can go to Genesis. We can go to Genesis chapter 4 and get a little more detail. If you know the story a little bit, uh, Cain and Abel, um, they were obviously the kids of Adam and Eve. Let's, let's read what God's Word says about that. And again, she, Eve, bore a brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. What does that make him? Makes him a shepherd. And Cain was a worker of the ground. What does that make Cain? farmer, right? So we got a shepherd and a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So Cain brought an offering. Verse 4, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And here we see, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Why? What was so special about Abel's offering that the Lord had regard for it. I'm going to give you two reasons why. Firstly, this. It was a matter of Abel's heart before the Lord. It was a matter of his heart before the Lord. We know uh, from this story that, that Cain's heart was wicked and full of evil. We know that Abel was the first murder victim in history, and he was murdered at the hands of his brother Cain. We know Cain was full of wickedness. But we also see from this passage here that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. So here Cain's making an offering to the Lord as if that pleases him. And the Lord looks right through the offering into Cain's heart and says, No, Cain, your heart is wicked and evil, and you're about to commit murder. And therefore, I'm not going to accept your offering because it's out of an evil and a wicked heart. But in contrast, we see Abel. And Abel brought an offering to the Lord that was with a a pure heart, with a, a right heart. And Abel's sacrifice was commended as righteous. Think about that. In other words, God saw Abel's heart and the joy and the worship he had for his Savior and accepted his gift. Like the word faith, the word commended shows up here a couple of times as we read through this. And commended can be translated as God counted it or he, he attributed to it as righteousness. Not that Abel was perfectly righteous. He was a sinner just like you and me. But God counted it as righteous. It's amazing. It was a very tangible expression that Abel loved God, and that he had a faith in his creator, and that God rewarded him in return. But, you know, there, there's an application here for us. There's something here for us in this story. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your life marked with sacrifice to the Lord that's pleasing to him? Is it? Are you giving to the Lord out of radical faith like Abel was? Or do you give to the Lord out of obligation or grumbling or, heaven forbid, with a a wicked heart? There's a a second observation that we can get here from uh, Abel's offering, and it has to do with Jesus. And we're going to go through this morning, all three men, we're going to point to Jesus. Notice that Abel was a shepherd of sheep. Church, who's our good shepherd? Jesus is our good shepherd. The Bible says Jesus is our good shepherd. In Genesis 4, Abel says that he brought a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering of the firstborn lamb. It was the outpouring of the blood of the firstborn lamb. Loved ones, Jesus, Jesus is God's only son. He was born to be the perfect, spotless lamb that would be the once and for all sacrifice for all of mankind. 
Do you see it? Like, do you see, do you see the foreshadowing here? Abel's sacrifice of a blood offering to the Lord was a direct foreshadowing for us to the blood of Christ that would need to be shed to wash away the sins of all mankind. Abel's faith, his life of faith, and his radical faith in his heart in God was acceptable, and it points us, as we see this story, to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's awesome. If you take the time to actually study what God's Word is saying here, it's amazing. So listen to this. Even though Abel never saw Christ, just like you and I have never seen Christ, his faith was radically counted as righteous, and it was enough to save him. That's to me, is awesome. Think about this. Abel had just a glimmer, like a little, little glimmer of faith, of hope in whose creator. We can look at our period in history back right through God's word to the cross, to Jesus Christ, and then right to Abel. We can see the direct line here, but Abel never could. And Abel's faith was enough to save him because he had the right heart before the Lord. His faith was radical, man. That was Abel. Let's talk about Enoch. Enoch, verse 5 here, verse 5, by faith, by faith, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended, there's that word again, he was commended as having pleased God. Right away, we learn two things here about Abel's faith. First of all, God took him. <laughs> God came down and took Abel, or took, took Enoch to, to be with him. This guy didn't die. This guy did not die. Why? Why? It says here because he was commended as having pleased God. So we can travel back into time. We can look at what the word has to because Enoch's not really well known in the Bible. This is kind of the passage that talks about Enoch. Let's, let's read it together. So when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. That guy was really old, like 900 and something years, right? We know that. So we know about Methuselah. But Enoch, Enoch, what was, what was good about Enoch? Enoch walked with God. Underline that in your Bibles. Enoch walked with God. And after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, okay, that's remarkable, right? That's remarkable. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Okay, he lived a long time. What's so special? Verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's all we know about Enoch. Twice, twice the author. Do you see it here? Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. See the significance here? Enoch's relationship was one that was so close. He was walking so closely with the Lord that some say he walked right into heaven with the Lord. That is pretty radical if you ask me. So walking with the Lord is a term that we use today, right? If you've been in faith for a while, you've been part of this church, we can, I can ask you this question. Hey, hey, how's your walk? And most of you know exactly what I mean when I say, hey, how's your walk? What I'm saying is, hey, man, are you close to the Lord right now? Like, are you in his word daily? Are you studying him? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you worshiping him? Hey, are you serving in this church as a result of the faith that you have? Hey, are you telling others about Jesus Christ? Man, how's your walk? Are you close or are you far? It's amazing to me that we still use this term today because it represents the fact that we as followers of Jesus Christ, as radical faith, we walk close in our day. That's radical. Listen, what's pleasing to the Lord 
what we learn from Abel and Enoch is this, is that we worship him and that we walk with him. That our lives as Christ followers should be one that pleases the Lord and our faith is such that it causes worship to come from our hearts as we walk closely with him. That's what's radical in our day. Even though we don't see him, we love him. Man, that's, church, that's radical faith. That's radical faith. We see it in Abel. We see it in Enoch. We're going to see it in Noah. And I'll be honest, as I was studying this passage this morning, this week, I just really wanted to get to Noah, right? Because it's so easy for us to jump to the story of Noah and say, look how radical Noah's faith was, man. He built an ark. Like, that's pretty wild, man. What a huge accomplishment Noah had for the Lord, right? What a big deal. He, he, he built an ark. That should be Hall of Faith worthy, right? We're going to learn here in a second. Listen, it wasn't the fact that Noah built the ark that was Hall of Faith worthy. It was his walk with the Lord. Church, don't miss this point of application for your life. What is pleasing to God is how you worship him and how we love him and how you walk with him. And that's it. That's what pleases him. Man, I was so convicted by this this week, man. So often we are trying to produce for God. We want to make our lives count. We want to do something big for God. And we learn here what pleases God, what we learn from the life of Enoch, that he just wants us to walk closely with him. Those are the things that please him. I am so guilty of like, Lord, I'm going to build this thing, man. I'm going to build you an ark. I'm going to put a motor on it. That's kind of my heart. Someone said that to me this morning. It made me laugh. It's true. Listen, the, just like Abel, the story of Enoch's life of faith also has deeper meaning. Just like Abel, Enoch's walk of faith was, of faith was uh, close to the Lord. He walked him right into heaven, right? Just think about that. The Lord came and took him, church. The Lord came down out of heaven and took Enoch. Do you see Christ in this passage? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if Christ is in me, if Christ is in you, one day... Jesus is going to send from heaven. He's going to come, and he's going to take us to be with him in all of eternity. Do you, do you see Christ in the passage here? It's awesome, awesome. We know because of Christ, the grip of death has no hold on us. You might die physically, but spiritually, you know Christ is coming. He's going to take you to be with him. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Do you see the foreshadowing here? The foreshadowing in the story of Enoch is to Christ. Your radical faith is one day going to walk you right through the gates of paradise to be with him forever. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. That is true if you can say Christ is in me, right? The other group this morning, the Christ in them, people, I promise I'd come back to you. I'm so glad you're here, man. This next verse is there for you. Let's read it together. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Stop there. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth about walking 
a radical life of faith, without it, it is impossible to please God if you don't have it. So if you showed up here today, maybe a couple of times a year, and you think that somehow that earned you some merit with God, look what his word says. It is, without faith, it is impossible to please him. If 10 minutes ago you threw some money in the offering as it went by, thinking that that's going to buy you some favor with God, listen, if you don't have faith, it's, it's impossible to please him. Like, if you were born into a Christian family and your Christian family is dragging you out to church and you think that, well, my parents are Christians, so therefore I kind of inherit their faith a little bit. No, you don't. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. So what are you supposed to do? Christ and them, people, what are you supposed to do? Don't look at me. Look at God's word. Look at the second part of that verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, comma, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Do you see that? You must believe that he exists. And then he rewards those who seek him. Do you get it? There's the only note that you have to write down today. If Christ is not in you, write down three words. I must believe. That's the only application for you in this message. That's why you're here this morning. I must believe. That's it. I mean, you're thinking, really, that's it? Like, shouldn't I clean myself up a little bit before I do that? Like, I should probably stop drinking so much. I should probably stop yelling at my kids. I should definitely stop kicking my cat when I get home. Listen, you should stop doing those things. But there is nothing that you need to do that you can do that's going to clean yourself up for God. There's nothing else. Surely there's something else I need to do to please God, right? No. The answer is no. I'm going to give you one more passage of Scripture, then we've got to move on. Romans 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, church, let's read it together. You will be saved. That's it. That's all you have to do. I must believe. That's your point of application. Let's move on. We need to move on from the topic of radical faith. Let's talk about reverent fear. That's our second point uh, this morning. Write this down. Because Christ is in me, I walk in reverent fear. I walk in reverent fear. Now we're going to talk about Noah. You know, so often we... (laughs) We get the, like, the Sunday school version of Noah's Ark, right? It's some sort of Disney movie where all the animals come on the ark. It's this cruise ship filled with butterflies, and everything's going to be okay. And at the end, everyone's alive. God saves everyone. That's the version we normally get in Sunday school, man. But, man, the, like the story of Noah's Ark is terrifying. Like, I've, I've seen murals of Noah's Ark painted on baby nurseries. And I'm thinking... Why would you do that? This story is terrifying. Why would you put that in your kid's room? Go to sleep, go to sleep. I want to remind you, you are sinful. See? Noah. That's the story. Nighty night. Listen, I'm not meaning to be cute, but I want you to feel the weight of sin in this story. And like the other two guys today, we can go back to Genesis 
And it gives us an, a little bit more of insight as to why Noah had such a reverent fear of the Lord and why we should, too. Check this out. Genesis chapter 6. See the weight of sin in here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts and of his heart, see that, of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord regarded that he had, he, reg he regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You see that? Your evil heart grieves his heart. Next slide. So the Lord said, I will blot out, blot out men who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, circle but, but, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Church, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord way before he ever built the ark. If you keep reading in Genesis, it goes on to say that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. The last thing we learned about Noah was this. Noah walked with God. Just like Enoch. Just like me and you. That's why he was in the hall of faith. But he, he had great faith. But man, this guy also had a reverent fear. This is the context in which Noah has been warned by God. And it resulted in his reverent fear. Noah believed in God. He believed God when God said he would destroy the earth because it was the, the sin of man. So when we see that word reverent there, it can be translated as a, like a, a respect, like an, an awe for God. The original language was in Greek, and it conveyed a sense of like genuine spiritual devotion. That's what reverence means. It was Noah's devotion to God, his obedience and faith that drove his dedication to build the ark. You know, it took the better part of 120 years to build the ark. Think about that. 120 years. Shipbuilders, modern-day shipbuilders, they um, have looked at the plans for the ark, and although it was never designed for speed unless you put a motor on it, but it was never designed for speed. It was designed for stability. And the exact uh, length and width of the ark makes the most stable boat you could ever build. To which we say, duh, God designed it. Of course it's the best ship ever produced. Listen, John MacArthur wrote uh, this about, no, it's up for the screen. John MacArthur said this, among the countless faithful saints who have endured in persistence and obedience to God, Noah stands supreme, if for nothing else than the sheer magnitude and time span of the one incredible assignment from the Lord. Hey, Noah, what are you doing today? Building an ark. Dude, you've been doing that for like 120 years. Uh-huh. Hey, Dad, what are we doing today? Boys, we're building the ark. Come on, Dad, are you serious, man? We've been at this for 100 years. Boys, we're doing it again today. Get the tools. Let's go. John MacArthur goes on to say this. One of the greatest practical acts of faith in all history was Noah's cutting down of the first gopher tree for wood to make the ark. I love that. I love that. That's, that's helpful for us this morning. We see a beautiful golden nugget of application for us today. It's this. If anyone in all of history deserved to earn their salvation, it was Noah. Right? 
Some of you today are trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to please God by your works, what you're doing for him. And the book of James even says that faith without works is dead. So if we have faith, works has to go with it. Noah's a good example of that. Because he had faith, God gave him assignment. But the reverse is opposite true. The, the opposite is true. Works without faith is dead. Loved ones, me, Tim, stop trying so hard to please God by your works when all he wants is your worship. It's legalism. And legalism sucks the joy out of the life of a believer. It's the exact opposite of pleasing God. Legalism is not radical. It's not reverent. And it does not please the Lord. Some of you are trying to build an ark when Christ is just asking you to chop down a tree, sit on a log, and worship him. That's what he's asking you to do. There's a second nugget of application that we can get of this today, and I want you to see why. Why we should have such a healthy, reverent fear of God. Sometimes it's good for us to put ourselves into the storyline. We're going to do that right now. Don't pretend you're Noah. Pretend you're Noah's neighbor. Bob or Sally, pick a name. You're Noah's neighbor, and for 120 years, you've watched your crazy neighbor build his boat in his backyard, and you've been making fun of him for 120 years. Our neighbor's crazy. You think your neighbor's crazy? You should see our neighbor building a boat in his backyard. So imagine that day, after 120 years, when you look up to the sky, and you start to see water coming out of the sky, landing on your arms. You got to remember, before the days of Noah, there was no rain. So immediately, you know something is wrong. And as it falls onto your skin, you're like, what is, what is happening right now? And at about the same time, you start to see a torrent of water coming up from the earth. And fear comes into your heart. You're like, what is happening right now? This is crazy. And immediately, you think, Noah, Noah, Noah's building a boat. Noah, Noah, Noah was right. Noah's God was right. And so you grab your kids and some of your belongings and you try to get over to Noah's ark to see if you can get on his boat. And you run over to his house and when you get there, you realize that all of your other neighbors are also there. And by this time, the water has gotten up to your neck and you're holding onto a piece of wood because you don't know how to swim, you don't know how to tread water. But then your neighbor grabs that piece of wood from you and now you're drowning and everyone is yelling at Noah, Noah, let us in! Noah, open the door! Let us in! We're all drowning out here! Let us in! And Noah looks, I can't! God sealed the door. I can't open it. And you begin to drown. And I could go on, but the story is so horrific that I just don't think we can bear it. I think you get the point. Noah and his seven family members watched all of their friends, all of their aunts and uncles, all of their cousins, people they've been living with for hundreds of years, all of them died. And they sat there and watched it happen. Why? Like, why, God? Why would you do that? God, why would you allow that to happen? There was no hope for any of them in that moment. Zero hope. Why'd you do that, God? Because the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Church, do you, do you see there how serious God takes sin? Like God cannot tolerate him. We're learning like our sin, it, it grieves him to his heart. 
And we know the punishment we deserve for that sin is death. The Bible says clearly the wages of sin is death. So here's the golden nugget of application for us. Do you take your sin seriously? Knowing everything we've talked about, do you take your sin seriously? I mean, we all sin, but do you care that it grieves the Lord to his heart? It's the exact opposite of pleasing him. It causes him sorrow. Living in reverent fear means that repentance of sin is part of my life of walking with my Savior. I want to walk in repentance. I want to turn from sin. Not because it earns me some sort of favor with God, but because it pleases him. It pleases him to his heart. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what his word says. Amen. Just like Abel and Enoch, the the story also points us forward to Christ. Church, I want you to see the sin in this passage, but I also want you to see the need for a Savior in this passage. Just look at the parallels between Noah and Jesus. Watch this. Noah was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. Noah built a wooden ark to save his family. Church, Jesus bore the wooden cross to save the world. The ark was a means of salvation for eight. The cross is the means of salvation for all. Do you see Christ in this passage? Look, Noah was saved by grace through his faith. We, church, were saved by grace through faith. Do you see Christ in this passage? It is awesome. Saved by grace. You know, there's a third carpenter in this story, maybe a carpenter you've never thought about. We see Noah the carpenter, we see Jesus the carpenter. Consider for a moment the carpenter that built the cross. We thought about that guy? We assume it was a guy? What, what was he thinking about when he was planing down the wood to make the two beams that would be the cross? What was he thinking about? Did he, did he understand the weight of sin that that cross would bear? Like, did he understand the significance of his craft? Did he get it? Did he have any idea that the Savior of the world would be nailed to that thing? Did he think he knew that? You know, Noah spent 120 years making a rescue ship, and that carpenter probably spent an afternoon making the rugged cross. Yet it would be the most significant piece of carpentry ever produced in the history of the world church. I hope, man, I pray that one day we get to meet that unnamed carpenter in heaven. I hope he's there, man. I hope he saw in horror what was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, man. I hope he... And I hope he was there when they hammered the nails through the hands and the feet of Jesus. I hope he saw that with his own eyes. I hope he saw it. I hope he put his hands in his face like this and yelled out, what have I done? I didn't, Jesus, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Please forgive me. God, my sin put you there. I believe in you now. Jesus, I, be- I didn't know. I believe in you. I believe in you. I-, I believe in you now. That's the response to reverent fear when we see the price that is paid for us. 
Man, and I hope that that carpenter experienced the grace that was poured out on him as he washed, as he was washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Church, when, when you gaze upon the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ, it should cause reverent fear to rise up in us. Listen, man, we know, we know the wrath of God that Christ bore on our behalf. We know that Christ was the substitute. He was the atonement for us. And it should have been me and you, me and you nailed to that cross, but it wasn't. It was Jesus. We also know that if we were born in the days of Noah, there would have been no hope for us. The doors of the ark were shut. There was no hope for them. But church, hallelujah, we're in the age of grace. Instead of the doors being shut, Jesus is standing there with his arms wide open. That's where we live. Hallelujah, we are living in the age of grace. We have the reward of righteousness forever. That's our, our third point this morning. Listen, write this down. Because Christ is in me, I have the reward of righteousness forever. Look at the second part of verse 7. So by this he condemned the world, that's the ark, and because, and he became, this is Noah, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was an heir of righteousness. Listen, the ark is a foreshadowing to the cross of Christ, but it was also a foreshadowing of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you see it here? Loved ones, the day is coming, and the day is coming soon. He's going to come, and he's going to collect the Christ in me people. He's going to collect us, those who follow Jesus Christ. That's your reward. You see it? That's your inheritance. An heir of righteousness forever. If Christ is in you, you win. We win. You're either going to die and be with him, or he's going to come and collect us. Either way, you're going to be with him forever, along with Abel and Enoch and Noah and every other hero of faith that is mentioned here. It's amazing. And we know that with a surety. Why? Look at the words of Jesus himself, recorded in the book of Matthew. But concerning that day, the last day, the capital D day, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be with the coming of Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware, loved ones, until the flood came and swept them all away. And so it'll be with the coming of man, the Christ in them, people who don't have faith. And two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one left, and two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know what, on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, church, Christ follower, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, and at an hour that you don't expect. Let me ask you this morning, are you ready? On the day of Christ, are you ready? If Christ were to come right now, an hour from now, tomorrow, if Christ were to come this week, are you ready? 
Will he find you walking closely to him in worship and reverent fear and devotion? Or is he going to come by and find you distracted and wandering and far from him? Will he find you sharing your faith with everyone you know because you know the final day is coming? Or is he going to find you hiding your faith as if you're not even considering that final day is coming? Examine your heart this morning. Where are you, follower of Christ? Listen. The days are coming just like the days of Noah where the, the ark is going to be shut. But today, right now, the, the arms of Jesus, they stand wide open to you. We're living in the age of grace. We can run to Jesus Christ in faith and the door's wide open. So please, church, for heaven's sake, don't squander your faith. For the sake of those around you who don't have faith, don't squander your faith. Your final point of application is this. Write this down. Go and tell as many people as you can that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. That's the application. Jesus Christ is mighty to save. In reverent fear, know that he's coming again, and when he does, it'll be too late for them who do not have faith. Please tell them about the cross. Invite those around us to experience the amazing grace of Jesus and only Jesus. Man, tell them they have... They can have the reward of righteousness that Noah received and that Enoch received and that Abel received, that you and I are going to receive. But church, don't you see? People around us are dying. They're drowning spiritually. Do you see it? And we hold the key. We hold the truth that only Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Church, you got to tell them. See, a life that is pleasing to God is one that worships and walks and works for God. But we also got to call others to do the same. You see, no one became an heir of righteousness that comes by his faith. You see it in our church? The reward is faith. The true follower of Jesus Christ is, gets an inheritance of righteousness forever. It's the atoning work of Jesus Christ. It guarantees that we will live with him in righteousness forever. So Noah built a boat right? The carpenter built some beams. But listen, man, Jesus Christ, he built a bridge. And that bridge, it paved the way for you and me, man, unrighteous sinners to be reunited with a perfect and holy and righteous God. Jesus did that. Only Jesus. He did that for you and for me. Can you believe that? Church, can you believe that? Do you believe that? Christ in them people, do you believe that? I must believe. We're going to end our service kind of in the same way that we started our our service. I want... I want to read Isaiah 61, the same passage that was up at the start of us. If you missed this this morning, show up to church on time. <laughs> I'm going to read it again. It's Isaiah 61, 10. If you are a follower in Jesus Christ, if Christ is in with you, if you're receiving the reward 
if your faith is radical, if your fear is reverent, look at this. I, you can say this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness. Think about that. Because the atoning work of Jesus Christ, he looks at the unrepentant sinner and says, repent. And the minute that happens, the minute you say, I believe, Jesus takes that filthy rag of robe that you own. That's all of your sin and your filthiness and your shame. And he takes that off of you. And he puts it upon himself. And then he takes his perfect righteous robe and wraps it around you. And in that moment, it guarantees your eternal inheritance. You become an heir to the throne of Jesus Christ. Do you see how beautiful that is? That's what Christ does for you in that moment. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So awesome, right, church? So awesome to live this life of faith. So listen, I want to invite our worship team to come up, and we're going to sing. And we're going to sing a song called Jesus, Only Jesus. I've had the lyrics of this song on my desk all week and just been looking at them and singing them and I was writing and then I would stop and sing and I'd go back to writing again. Why? Listen, church, our, our response to a word like this is worship. We, we have to worship. I want to read to you the first, the first four lines, church, of this song. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He's our hope and our righteousness, Jesus, only Jesus, church, only Jesus. Man, your, your final application, sing this as loud as you can, Jesus, only Jesus. For those of you who have Christ in them, the Christ in me people, you can sing this. I've got the same problem with our outline, man. If Christ is not in you, you can't, you can't sing this. I mean, you can, you can ask the first two questions. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? But you need faith. You need faith to sing the rest of it. He's our hope. He's our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. So I'm asking you, just as your first step in radical faith and reverent fear, just go back to your outline. If you put Christ in them on your outline, man, you're brave. I'm not sure to be even braver. Your first step in faith right now, just change it back. Christ in me. Three words. Christ in me. Christ, Lord, I want radical faith. I want reverent fear. I want righteousness forever. Lord, please give it to me. That's it. That's it. It's Jesus. Only Jesus. Here's what I'm praying for you right now. That you would say, Jesus, Christ in Jesus Christ in me, I believe. I believe. I don't know what to do next, but I believe. And if you pray that prayer right now, I pray by the time in the song we get to Jesus, only Jesus, you too can just sing it out as loud as you want. I pray that the robe of righteousness gets wrapped around you as you're singing, as we're singing right now. Oh, Lord, would you grant salvation in this place right now, God? Pour out your grace as we sing, Father. Wrap your robe, uh, your robe of righteousness around people as we sing, as we sing right now, Lord. Do it for your glory, God, we pray. Do it. Do it.